At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You sit at a desk. They sit at a desk. You have sales reports. They have book reports. You need supplies. They need supplies. Business is a lot like school. That's why your small business should take advantage of back-to-school deals at Staples. Now, Staples 1-inch 3-ring binders are $1.92. One-subject notebooks are just $0.25, and two-pocket poly folders are just $0.35 each. Make back-to-school your business at Staples. In-store only while supplies last. Offer ends 9-1-18, limit 30. Blog Talk Radio. The intro will play. We'll just give it a few seconds. A little technical difficulties here. Still processing. So as, as we're talking to, to load in the show, you know, sometimes Block Talk Radio doesn't fully play the intro as soon as we start the show, which is a little disappointing considering we paid thousands of dollars for this. So here we go. Tennessee lose, and they need a win here to keep their hopes alive. Gillisley to the outside. Gillisley with running room, midfield, 40, and out of bounds at about the 30-yard line. On its way, and pushed it right. And they're going to give it to Ajayi. And Ajayi breaking through left side. 40, 50, can they catch him? Finally bring him down. Mikel Roby Coleman with the tackle. And it's good. The Miami Dolphins with their 10th win of this season. And they now look to tomorrow's game in... Kansas City, where Denver, if they lose, would put the Dolphins into the postseason. All right, ladies and gentlemen, yes, you heard that. And for the first time since 2008, the Miami Dolphins are in the playoffs. And it was a great game with the Chiefs just absolutely beating down on the Denver Broncos. And then with Poe throwing that touchdown pass, the big offensive lineman who everyone thinks is just going to run and stops, looks, throws, touchdown. And the game was pretty much over before that, but that was the point where we all could say the Miami Dolphins were back in the playoffs for the first time since 2008. Am I right, Sutton? Oh, man, that's uh, what an unbelievable feeling. I just hope everybody's taken a moment to let this all sink in because this is relatively unchartered territory if you're a millennial or a generation wire like myself. So um, enjoy this while it lasts. We actually just got off the phone with somebody who called from overseas, just um, just totally stoked to be a Dolphins fan right now and just said that we've been doing a nice job with the radio show. And uh, he's just pumped to see what we can do in the playoffs. 
That's awesome. So we got we get the Dolphins in the playoffs. We got people calling from overseas. We got Finsider Radio continuing to be lit AF. And how? What what were you doing when when the Chiefs beat the Broncos? Were you sitting on your sofa just doing, you know, how things, or were you drinking a beer, or you know, having a little fun with your wife because the Dolphins were in the playoffs? What were you doing? <laughs> yeah, I was I was definitely drinking a beer. I I mean I I passed out after that Dolphins game because I was pretty uh exhausted. But then I woke back up. I think we went down to the in-laws and uh yeah, that that game on Sunday, that was that was the nail in the coffin and this is a moment that we for for a long time and I mean coming into the year no one expected it. So to see what Adam Gase did with all the injuries and the cards he was dealt, I mean this has been a, a fun year and one of the most impressive Dolphins teams I can remember for a long time. So I'm just excited that where they are right now and, and what they're doing for the future. Yeah, so, I mean, 2008, we look at how long ago that was. Gasoline was $4 a gallon in 2008. Uh, Saturday Night Live was actually pretty funny. <laughs> um, what else What else happened in 2008? In, in January, President Obama was sworn in to office back in 2008 to begin his first term. The Patriots, remember the Patriots? They were about to head on to their perfect season, and they were beaten by the Giants in the Super Bowl in 2008. Um, Let's see see what else happened in 2008. Uh, Just reading through this now, I I just mentioned gas was $4 a gallon. That means the cost of filling up an average car was $50, or for Hummer owners, (laughs) $17,500. <laughs> that that that's that's a joke. So I hope you guys laughed at that. Uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac invested seventeen billion dollars in a Herbalife franchise. Uh, Obama and and Clinton continued to fight each other. Uh, so I'm sorry, Obama was not sworn in in 2008. That was the presidential race where they were campaigning with each other. Usain Bolt, what would burst it onto the scene? President George Bush took his last official trip as president. Uh, there was so much going on in 2008 that is so long ago. And the Dolphins, ladies and gentlemen, are back in the playoffs. Playoffs? 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 Talking about playoffs? Playoffs? You kidding me? So it would have been great if I had if I had that clip, but but I don't because because I was uh, watching Frozen with good. my kid. And we, don't need have another we don't yeah, need another lawsuit. We don't need another lawsuit for <laughs> copyrighted material. But the, but the fact is this, guys. 2008, right? The Dolphins made the playoffs. Chad Pennington dropped out of the sky for them in June. And the Dolphins signed him. And he embarked on a magical season where the Dolphins kind of started off the way they did it this year. They had really struggled the first part of the, the first quarter of the season. And all of a sudden, back in 2008, they turned it around against the Patriots, unleashing the Wildcats. And that rode them. To, to the playoffs, and then you saw Chad Pennington just throw five interceptions against the Baltimore Ravens. I clearly remember that game. It was it was awful, but at that time, I think me, like others, were like, okay, this is the start of something. You got a new coach. You got Bill Parcells in there. We're going to be back, and the Dolphins haven't been close to going back to the playoffs because, you know, you look at Chad Pennington. He was there for one season. Then after one season, it was all known that he was going to pass the torch on to Chad Henney, and we all thought, that Chad Henney was the next Dan Marino, that he was going to come and he was going to light everyone on fire and he was going to do good things. But Chad Henney never did good things. And Chad Henney was actually benched in the middle of that season and Chad Pennington came in and Chad Pennington got hurt several plays later. So Chad Henney had to come back in and finish out the season. So it was a complete disaster in the 2008. But 2016 was very similar. Dolphins started off one and four, really lucky to win that game against the Browns. And if they didn't win that game, we'd still be talking here. The Dolphins need to win on Sunday to get into the playoffs. But luckily, they did pull that one off against the Browns due to a lot of luck. But then they turned the switch. They started running the ball. And there's no gimmicks in this, though. You had your quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. You have your running back in Jay Ajayi. You got your receivers. You got your defense doing miracles. You got all these guys injured. When all these guys come back next year, the Dolphins are going to be even better. There is a foundation in place. There is a band-aid in place in 2008. There is no band-aid in place in 2016. The Dolphins are only going to get better and better from here. They'll have that second-place schedule in the AFC East, which is all good and fine. They have to continue to maintain this consistency. They have to continue to maintain this level of competitiveness. 
And with Adam Gates in charge, I have no doubt in my mind they will continue to do that. House, are you feeling the same way that I'm feeling about these Dolphins this year compared to the Dolphins in 2008? Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think this, the foundation for this team to compete for years to come is in place. I mean, a lot of these players are under 26, 27 years old. I mean, just, just to see all these players progress throughout the year. I mean, I don't think I've ever remembered seeing a uh, rookie class just come in and have the effect that this team has. I mean, you got Laramie Tunsil in there starting, Kenyon Drake, Jakeem Grant, all these players, you got Xavier Howard. I mean, all these guys made a contribution throughout the year. And I mean, they're just going to continue to get better and continue to, to make Miami great again. And it's just great to see the way the Dolphins are playing and how they're gelling together as a team ever since. I mean, they sat JHI, different players, Maxwell sat out. I mean, and just the way they managed to bounce back and just realize that no one player is bigger than a team. They just, they just rallied behind Gates and the rest of the, the coaches and what the Dolphins are doing this year is awesome. And I, I can't wait to see what they're, setting themselves up for. And I don't want to take anything away from the 2008 season, the the amazing turnaround that the Dolphins had, you know, a, a 10 game difference there between 2007 and 2008. So an incredible year for us. I think the difference though is the difference between Sperano and Gase, namely Sperano, to my knowledge, wasn't even an offensive coordinator before he got the head coaching gig as Miami Dolphins. He got it yeah, he mostly because of his affiliation with Parcells. So he gets the head coaching gig, and, yes, he certainly had a hand in uh, what happened that season and that turnaround, but it's much different having the youngest head coach, a prolific offensive coordinator. You know, we've seen the grit that he's established with this team. So I think everybody comparatively – Compared to 2008, you have to feel a little bit better about the product we're seeing this year and the future trajectory of this team. have to be encouraged by it. And you'd like to think that because Gates is so young that he's picking up on more nuances and details and he's going to add that to his budding arsenal and he's only going to become an even better head coach. So very intriguing to see how that's going to develop going forward. Yeah, you are absolutely correct. I mean, that's a great point about Adam Gase, you know, being a first-time head coach. Obviously, the guy is very smart. Before he was hired, I had tweeted out uh, that he was the offensive version of Nick Saban. And while he's a genius, he's still a first-time head coach, and and, there's going to be growing pains. And we saw that a little bit earlier in the season. There's still some times where you kind of scratch your head and you wonder, okay, is this really the right move? But you're absolutely right, Sutton. As he goes on and as he gets further and further into his head coaching career, he is only going to get better. Just like all the players on this team, we are seeing the signs of an ultimate system team where players can be brought in, plugged in, and succeed. If they believe in the system, they understand what they're doing. The Dolphins are 4-1 and this year against the AFC East. When was the last time you could say the Dolphins were 4-1 and against the AFC East? I mean, it's been a long, long time. They finished their road schedule this year with a 4-4 and mark, the team's best since 2014. They had... Uh, the most miles traveled by the Dolphins in an eight-game road schedule in team history. They traveled a total of 25,516 miles. A huge credit. It's not just that one game, guys, because remember, they have to leave a day or two before, depending on where they are in the country. If they go on the West Coast, they leave a few days earlier. But then after the game, they come back. And then they have to, you know, get, they get back really late, and they get back home, and they got to rest, and they come back in, and so forth. So you're really shortening the week when you travel on these road trips. So it's not just that one game. They're 4-2 and all-time in games played on Christmas Eve, so schedule makers, please continue to schedule them on Christmas Eve. Jay Ajayi finished the Buffalo game with 206 rushing yards, giving him 1,213 for the season, moved into fourth place on the Dolphins' all-time single-season rushing charts, and is only 45 yards behind running back Delvin Williams back in 1978 for third place. Of course, a 206 rushing yards marks his third 200-yard performance of the season, just the fourth player in NFL history to ever rush for 200 yards in three-plus games in the same season. The other three, Tiki Barber in 2005, Earl Campbell in 1980, and O.J. Simpson in 1973. Earl Campbell's 1980 season had four 200-yard games. This was Jay Ajayi's fourth 100-yard game of the season, tied for the fifth-most 100-yard games in a single season in Dolphins history. And, of course, our boy Cameron Wake, 
recorded a sack in the second quarter, giving him 11.5 for the season. Now has 81.5 sacks in his career, which moves him into a tie for second place uh, with Pittsburgh's James Harrison among undrafted players in NFL history. The 81.5 sacks also moves him in front of former Dolphin, great Jason Taylor for the most sacks by a Dolphins player in their first eight seasons with the team. And one more stat for you, kicker Andrew Franks, our hero, converted a career-long 55-yard field goal. And I will know, guys, I was holding my breath. I was standing. I was clutching my, my necklace, which is a cross. And, and I was saying all sorts of prayers in all different kinds of languages. I don't even know what I was saying. I was talking in tongues. And my wife was just looking at me like I was just some devil-possessed. But it was really, really good stuff. Uh, <laughs> And then, of course, <laughs> yeah, and I, my, I mean, I think I sacrificed my daughter to the gods for the field goal, and I don't know. My daughter's been acting weird lately, so that may be something to that. It was the second game-winning kick of Frank's career after he nailed a 27-yarder in overtime, previously made a 21-yarder to beat Arizona just a few weeks ago on December 11th. We are going to get more into this game. Uh, we'll reflect on it in just a little bit. But we have on our hotline, uh, sponsored by, anyone got a company we're going to sponsor this phone call by? What do you guys <laughs> want to throw out there? I think we're going to get in trouble no matter what we say. All right. So we're, this, this, this phone call is being sponsored by Deflated Incorporated. We have Matt Ruinski <laughs> on the phone from Pat's Pulpit, part of SB Nation. He is here to talk all things New England Patriots. Again, this phone call is sponsored by Deflated Incorporated. Matt, how are you doing tonight? Welcome to Finsider Radio. Hey, doing well, gentlemen. How are you? We are doing fantastic. Thank Great. you for joining us. We'll have you for just a short while tonight. Uh, Matt, Dolphins versus Patriots on Sunday. They have played each other week 17, week 16 in the past, over the past several years. Over the past mm-hmm. several years, this game has meant absolutely nothing for the Dolphins. This game has been <laughs> the Dolphins Super Bowl, perhaps. With Michael Thomas intercepting Tom Brady in the end zone, the crowd went wild. Everyone went wild. The Dolphins weren't making the playoffs, but it was one of the best moments of that Dolphins season. Now you got week 17 again, but still the game does not mean much with the Patriots fighting for the one seed, but a weak number one seed because Oakland, without Derek Carr, if they win, uh, they'll be the number two seed. They got Matt McGloin. Uh, doesn't really strike fear into a lot of people. The Dolphins, of course, <laughs> fighting for the fifth seed. But again, Houston Texans, yes, they're a struggling offensive team. But look at they have one of the best defenses in the NFL. Matt, what is your outlook for Sunday's game in terms of should the Patriots rest their starters? We saw what happened last year with the Patriots just having a baffling game plan where they ran the ball pretty much the entire game. They ended up losing the game. They didn't get home field advantage. They go to Denver for the AFC Championship. They lose that game. And a lot of people point to Week 17 as the Dolphins, you know, really ruining the chance for the Patriots to go to the Super Bowl last season. Do you see the Patriots coming out, or what are you hearing this week in terms of the Patriots playing their guys? Are they going to play to win this game, or are they going to play to rest their guys and get ready for the postseason? Well, let's say first. I mean, that was last year's was a crappy game to watch in a bar, don't you think? Oh <laughs> I mean, God, uh, yeah. Watching that, what was it, twenty straight runs to start the game? <laughs> Just uh, I think we'll so. turn it over, turn it over, and pack our stuff and get out of here. Uh, yeah. But yeah, for for this year though, this is great. This is the first time, like you guys saying in a while, that uh, this has actually meant something to both teams realistically, and uh, and it, it kind of feels cool. I really actually like to the idea of having something to go for this late in the season. But as far as uh, resting the guys go, I know they've done it the last several years in a row. They did it during the Super Bowl season when they laid down against Buffalo two years ago. Uh, they basically did it last year against Miami Week 17. This year, everybody's saying, meaning the team, the coaches, all that, they're saying they're going to come out swinging. They're saying they're not laying down. Uh, Brady said the other day that uh, there's no change in approach. They want to finish this strong. They all got a bad taste in their mouth from last year when they got uh, you know, manhandled in Denver, even though the final score didn't look like it. So as far as home field goes, though, it's super important to these guys because when they're on the road uh, in the playoffs and in the AFC Championship, they have a losing record, believe it or not. <laughs> but when they're at home, they're four and one in the AFC championship. So no brainer that they want to try and uh, play all the guys, but I kind of wonder, you know, depending on how things are going, if they're actually going to just based on what we've done so far. Matt question for you coming into this game. JJ is easily the Dolphins probably most explosive playmaker. Uh, what can the Patriots Jeez. do to contain him? And, and how do you feel with, with that matchup this Sunday? 
Well, with that, I like the idea that uh, with, when they have an explosive running back to deal with, whether it's, you know, Marshawn Lynch back in the day or uh, even any of these guys, uh, LaShawn McCoy, people like that, the idea is you can't let him get outside. You can't break contain. And that's one of those things that uh, they got Jamie Collins sent packing, if you remember that, um, you know, trying to freelance a little too much, try and run between, you know, the inside gaps when you're trying to contain on the outside. And that leads to big plays. And if there's one thing that defense hates, <laughs> just wants to, you know, get rid of entirely, it'll get you benched, it'll get you shipped out of town, then it's big plays on the outside. So I've seen Jay play. I mean, he's a nasty runner, and he's going to be a beast to take down no matter where you hit him. But if anything, keep him inside and, uh, and try to bottle him up a little bit. <laughs> Matt, thanks for joining us this evening. My question to you is, and I'm trying to get a pulse of Pat's nation right now, what if um, if you guys stumble in the playoffs? What do you think the Achilles' heel is going to be for the Patriots? Where's the, where's the the weakness that fans are a little bit unsure of going forward the rest of the season? I think the killer for this one could be if it comes down to it. I mean, you saw it in the playoffs last year when Brady gets in trouble. He's looking for two dudes, and that's Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski. We don't have Rob Gronkowski, obviously, because he's been out for several weeks now with that season-ending back injury, which that leaves him without a big red zone threat as well. So if you recall during the AFC Championship last year, when he needs that two-point conversion, when he needs that you know double-covered throw it up and pray that somebody comes down with it, it's always Gronk. And, um, you know, you saw even last week trying to throw a corner fade to Julian Edelman doesn't work out so well either. <laughs> so they've, they've got a lot of good players at this receiver position. They've got, you know, Edelman, obviously, and then Malcolm Mitchell's been playing very well. He's almost on pace to keep track with uh, Deion Branch for his rookie season. Um, Chris Hogan has been a nice addition, too. But they don't have that one guy where, you know, the Odell Beckham type where, like, all right, if we're in a clutch situation, you know where the ball is going. And if anything, uh, there's nothing worse than a game ending with Tom Brady just looking around like, what just happened? <laughs> so, if anything, that'll be it. <laughs> So we're joined by Matt Ruinski from Pat's Pulpit, part of the SB Nation Network. Matt, again, thank you for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter uh, at some call me goose. Matt, just a few more <laughs> minutes, a few more questions for you. We are inside our own little bubble here in Miami and across the nation. Uh, none of us actually live in Florida, myself, House and Sutton. We live in different parts of the world, um, secluded from, from everybody from, from the general population because we cannot be out in public with these people, but, but us Dolphins fans, as I'm sure Patriots fans, I live in Connecticut, so I see Patriots fans all around me. Um, oh, I bet. <laughs> but, but I don't really follow the Patriots, you know, per se, in terms of really getting deep into their fan base. Um, but I just want to know what the perception is of the Dolphins. We all believe deep down that the Dolphins are on a rise, and, and they're an up-and-coming mm-hmm. team and with a head coach, Adam Gase, and a good foundation in place. But from the outside looking in, do Patriots fans feel that way as well? Do you guys have anything to fear over the next few years? I know you guys have absolutely dominated the AFC East and actually the AFC as well. But in terms of, okay, looking down the road with Brady nearing the end of probably his career, maybe Belichick goes with him, where the Dolphins mm-hmm. are just kind of starting things, you know, is it something where you might say Patriots fans, you know, look at the Dolphins and, and feel them as a threat over the next few years? It's been funny over the last couple of years because we've always goofed on the Dolphins for, uh, you know, winning yes. free agency every year. <laughs> if, yeah. you know, if you guys talk about that at all, you know, the, whether it's oh, yeah. Dominic and Sue or um, let's see who else, Byron Maxwell's another one. You guys should probably talk Mike about Wallace. One of those dudes. Mike, yep, yep, Mike Wallace. Um, you could go on more than I could anyway. Um, so that's been the show <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. a little while now. And, uh, you know, no matter what, it seemed like it always ended up eight and eight, seven and nine, uh, nine and seven if you're lucky, you know, that kind of thing. But this year, I think uh, people are taking this game seriously. And then part of it is because uh, you guys have had a couple ugly games, you know, like versus the Bengals. You know, Tannehill got sacked, I believe, five or six times. And then the Ravens game was a disaster. But what I was looking at it today, and ever since then, uh, ever since week six, you guys have scored 26 or more points in all those games except one of them, or two of them, I'm sorry. So, yep. I mean, they're tearing it up on offense, and Jay is a big part of that. You know, Jay coming out of nowhere has been – a lot of fun to watch if you're not playing against him. And uh, so I think that the idea now is, you know, you're looking at him like, all right, well, you know, you don't just blow these guys. This isn't a W on the calendar anymore. This is something where uh, you got to take them seriously. You've got threats all over the field. Uh, It seems like every time I look at a Dolphins play on red zone, Kenny Stills running past some safety. So, um, (laughs) 
can't have that. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, the AFC East, I think, in general, doesn't get enough credit for being a, a relatively tough division, you know, minus the Jets this year. Uh, but, I mean, people seem to think it's some cupcake, and it's just not. And I think the Dolphins are a good example of, you know, like you were saying, building up first year. You guys, what, what 10 games in your first year with a new head coach? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and a couple of those guys, like I know Devontae Parker didn't do a whole lot last year being hurt and stuff, and uh, it could be pretty scary when it all comes together. All right, Matt Ruinski from Pat's Pulp. But, again, if you want to follow him on Twitter, at some call me goose. As with all fan bases, there are plenty of arrogant fans. There are many classy fans. And, yes, <laughs> even with the Patriots fans, Matt, you are a classy guy. So thank you for joining us tonight. Best of luck on Sunday, but not too much luck. And best of luck in the playoffs. But again, not too much luck there either. Thank you for joining us. Have a great night. All right, that's right. Let's just all stay healthy, okay? Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Take care, Matt. Good. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. That was Matt Rewinski from Pat's Pulpit. And, and I know it's hard to, you know, be nice to Patriots fans, guys. But there are some nice Patriots fans out there, I will admit. You know, there are some classy ones. And as Dolphins fans, there are bitter rivals, and we have to deal with them twice a year. And me living in Connecticut, I have to deal with them every single day of my life. I see billboards of Rob Gronkowski at every Dunkin' Donuts it, on the streets <laughs> and every single corner. Uh, so I get so. pretty sick of it. But you know, we all root against the Patriots all the time. So we don't want them. To, we don't want them in the Super Bowl. We don't want them to win the Super Bowl. It's just a sickening feeling, even when we have to t- hear them. Uh, talk about the Patriots for the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. It's absolutely disgusting. It's sick. I hate it. It's just awful. But that does not take away from some of the fans who are nice, like Matt, or at least he seems nice, at least on that phone call. So, But it's good to hear that, that the Patriots and some of their fans do see the Dolphins as not an automatic win. Um, you know, I guess that's good, right? Yeah, that's all we can ask for, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's on the really enthusiastic house. I'm glad uh, you're just sitting there just agreeing with me because that's what we want on this show. Someone's got to say something. I, I didn't hey, but, hey, I felt, hey, like, I felt hey, like you needed that. Hey, by the way, how tell them how about the thousands of dollars you won in fantasy football this year. It, it was only 1100 but I think I was in like eight leagues. So, I mean, winning three of them and getting that, that kind of cash back, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's really nice. Uh, I was in seven leagues this year, and I only won uh, two of them. So, I didn't make – quite as much cash as Houts did. Sutton, do you play fantasy football? I do. Um, I'm actually in one of those rare leagues that has their Super Bowl on week 17. So, Oh, God. That um, my face, my... What kind of league are you Sorry, in, bro? Is that... <laughs> Sounds like one with your kids and your wife. You know, let's all get participation medals. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> so I can just boost my own self-esteem. I just set up fake teams for my kids, and they, they just don't set their lineup or anything. So I end up just winning. <laughs> so I'm not really going to sweat this one out too much. Yeah. Um, but, no, it, yeah, it is kind of different. But, uh, nonetheless, my fate's yet to be determined. So I'll let you guys know next show. Yeah, best of luck. I hope you win. Um, yeah, please. Yeah, win thanks. It. Yeah, because then you can afford your trip to Pittsburgh if you go to the playoff game. You know? Oh, man, that would be so sweet. So, yeah, I don't think I'm going to play fantasy football next year. I had a really rough experience this year. But we'll save that discussion for the offseason after the Dolphins win the Super Bowl in just You're a few weeks. Oh, no, play. I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> I deleted all my fantasy football apps. I deleted everything. I'm, I'm done. Oh, we, will, damn, we will talk okay. about that. We will That's talk legit. about that in about six to eight weeks, again, after the Dolphins win the Super Bowl. So, you know, we kind of talked about the Bills game there just – you know, kind of reflecting back on it before we really start moving on a little bit to our live thread. It was a weird game because the Dolphins seemed to be in control for most of the first half, right? Uh, the Dolphins got up early, and but then the Bills just started going back and forth with the Dolphins, and it was like the Dolphins could not stop the Bills, the Bills could not stop the Dolphins, and it, and then it went into over. Then the Bills took the lead with maybe, what, a minute and four left in the game. And, and then the Dolphins came roaring back, and you have Andrew Franks coming out there with a 55-yarder with the clock running down, 20 seconds, 10 seconds, 6 seconds, kicks it up. Uh, dude has never made it this long of a field goal in his NFL career before. Struggled with the long kick all season and last season as well, and he makes it. And then we go into overtime with the Bills, win the toss, you know, we call heads. And, of course, you hear the tails never fails, right? You always, you always try to do that. 
and, and they get the ball and they drive down the field and they're looking good. And Dan Carpenter, our, our Dan Carpenter, the one that always screwed us, misses the kick. And then we go down and JHI with the huge run because the Bills only had 10 people on the field. He does not get that much of a gain if there's 11 guys on the field. Uh, who knows what would have happened. And then we get down there, we kick the game-winning field goal. It was just a crazy game. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying there's no way the Dolphins come back and, and win this game when they when the Bills went ahead with a minute and a four left. And then they do. And then I keep thinking that there's no way the Dolphins can keep matching the Bills uh, blow for blow. And then they do. And then they win the game in overtime. It was just absolutely nuts. I thought our playoff chances were just going down the drain as the Bills slowly chipped away at the lead and then took the lead. What were your feelings, guys, uh, throughout the game? Sutton, we'll start with you, and then we'll jump to Houts. Yeah, you pretty much described it perfectly. Just what a kind of a bizarro game. And kudos to, to Andrew Franks for making that kick. Um, definitely had my doubts when he was coming out. We'd seen two missed kicks earlier, even before that, not even including the overtime miss that Carpenter had. And um, for for him to to pull off that kind of kick with that much at stake, I think we learned a little bit more about our kicker Saturday evening. So uh, kudos to him. In terms of just the overall game, you know, watching Buffalo rattle off 17 straight points to take the lead, you just started thinking to yourself, you know, all the, the those waves of bad thoughts of uh, the ghosts of Dolphins missed playoff past, all that stuff comes to the surface. And I just had that empty feeling in my stomach. And I thought for a second there, when Damian Williams didn't get out of bounds, I was like, crap, we're going to have to rush this field goal. And, and it's 55 yards in Buffalo with all this pressure on him. I just – you know, and like you said, he'd only attempted three 50-yard field goals in his two-year career to that point. So it definitely um, was a nerve-wracking experience. So uh, just that we tied the game and then was resilient enough in overtime to get us uh, in, in prime scoring position and, and win that game and sneak out of Orchard Park with a W. That was so huge. And I think uh, there's a big weight, that big proverbial weight on our shoulders is off of us because we finally won a late season game under adverse conditions. I think that was something we all needed to see. Yeah, for me, I mean, it almost felt like a roller coaster ride. The one second you were cheering and excited, the next second you were angry and cursing. And, I mean, it, you kind of had that feeling in your stomach like uh, the day before you went to school when you had like a book report due or something like that. Sick feeling in your stomach. I had that throughout the entire game. Uh, like like both of you said, when Andrew Franks came out, no part of me thought he was going to make that kick, and he just drilled it. And then even throughout uh, overtime, I kept thinking the Bills had a chance. I think it even came across the screen that if uh, the Bills ended with a tie or, or anything less than a win, they were eliminated from the playoffs. And I think right after that, Rex Ryan punted that ball away and Jay hit that 57-yard gain. And from there, it was the rest was history. So, I mean, it was just a roller coaster of emotions. And I just, it's a game that all your life, you just think the Dolphins are going to let that game go or with so much riding on it, they were just going to end up falling short this one time, but they managed to stick it out through the end. And I mean, what a great win it was to beat the Bills and to stay alive. And the job that Adam Gase has done with this team is absolutely phenomenal. We have been talking all these weeks, going back to the Rams game and other games before, how you expect the Dolphins to lose these kind of games, right? Where, where they have this lead and they start falling apart and then they can't pull it off in the last few minutes of the game. Uh, Adam Gase has completely turned this team around. And I know his name is being floated out there for possible coach of the year candidate. And when you think about the people out there, you got the Bill Belichick's of the world and who is consistently good and sometimes he gets overlooked, which is not totally fair because he's always so good, right? But you have other guys out there who may be under strong consideration for this award. And, and I know it's just an award, and it probably doesn't mean too much to Gaze. At least he might put on that public face that it doesn't mean too much. And I know he's more focused on winning and creating a championship culture in Miami. But it's nice to have that recognition. When you look around the league, House, um, what other names come to your mind as guys that may be a candidate for coach of the year. For me, you know, when I look around the NFL, 
I look at Jacksonville Rio with the Raiders, right? I look at perhaps uh, Bill O'Brien with the Texans. I look at a team like Jason Garrett with the Cowboys. I'll look at a team like Ben McAdoo with the Giants. Perhaps you can look at Mike McCarthy for the turnaround he's done with Green Bay. Dan Quinn with Atlanta. But I don't think any of these guys have really faced the adversity that Adam Gase has faced in his first year as head coach. I mean, you look at the one and four start. You look at Arian Foster being injured and out for the season, benching A.J. Ajayi, then all of a sudden just turning around, sending a message, cutting your two offensive linemen that were drafted, uh, turning things around, getting Jay Ajayi going to be one of the best running backs in the NFL, getting Ryan Tannehill to really play up to the level that he was playing, having Matt Moore come in as a backup in the Cardinals game where you have to come back and win the game when he wins the game. Then you beat the uh, Jets and put up 34. Then you beat the Bills and you put up 34. All this with a backup quarterback. I mean, Adam Gase, to me, and maybe I'm just being biased here, but I think he is the coach of the year in the NFL. What do you think, House? Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. And if, if anyone thought differently, I mean, after that rant you just went on, I mean, it's kind of hard not to see Adam Gase as a coach of the year. I mean, with the cards he's been dealt, the different injuries, starting out, like you said, one and four, and just the way this team has completely turned around. I mean, Ryan Tannehill looked like a one of the league's better quarterbacks until his injury, and then to do what he's doing with Matt Moore. I mean, you said it yourself, Jay Ajay left him behind week one against Seattle, and, I mean, now he's one of the league's probably top five, ten running backs. So, I mean, it's just impressive what he's done. Every time somebody goes down, the next man up just fills right in, and you can just see the schemes in place. I mean, like you said earlier, this team's going to be built to play players, and, I mean, that's exactly what coaching is. And for me, Adam Gase, like you mentioned, is probably my number one head coaching candidate. You also said uh, for coach of the year, and you also brought up Jason Garrett, which he has to be up there given what he did with Tony Romo and then a rookie as good as Ezekiel Elliott is. I mean, he's been pretty impressive in the NFC. So, I mean, if it's not uh, Adam Gase, I think maybe Jason Garrett. But for me, it's Adam Gase all the way. Son, how about you? Yeah, I think it's a three-headed race between Jason Garrett, Del Rio, and Adam Gase. Clearly, I'm biased, so I want Adam Gase to win. <laughs> I think he deserves it, but I think you can make a case for any of the three. What Jason Garrett's done with a rookie fourth-round quarterback starting and being under that kind of situation with uh, the potential swirl of the Romo, Prescott, quarterback controversy to keep everybody focused and having them at 13 and two, that's a pretty impressive record for the Cowboys there. So he's got to have strong um, uh, contention there. Del Rio, I mean, he's kind of helped get Oakland out of that rut. So he's been a very important piece of that franchise turning around. So he's just, I think he's in a similar situation with Gates where he has completely changed a, a culture down here. So, just very impressive resumes all the way around. Just the fact that we're even debating having a Dolphins coach as a potential coach of the year candidate is pretty exciting in itself. And it just so happens he's the youngest head coach in the NFL. So for him, you know, to have autonomy over Adam Gase right now and have him on our side, that's a pretty good feeling. And I do want to get into talk about other awards, such as the comeback player of the year award and possibly and I know he's probably not going to win, but the MVP award for J.H.I., I mean, if you really look at what the MVP really should mean in the literal sense, most valuable player, one can argue that J.H.I. really may deserve strong consideration for that award. Before we go into that, I want to jump to the Finsider Radio Live thread on the Finsider.com. Houts, what do we have going on there? Throw us one question, answer it, and throw us the next question, answer it, and then you two shall rotate back and forth before we head to our Twitter questions on Finsider Radio. Okay, here we go. We got a question from Daytona Dolphin. Dolphin asks, Gates seemed pissed even even though we won last week. Is this a good or bad sign? I mean, for me, that seems pretty obvious. I think Gates being uh, angry with the way the team played and how many yards he gave up on defense or maybe how they played offensively, I think that just shows that he's not complacent in what he does and he wants to continue to get better and he wants these players to continue to show effort each and every week and for him to not accept that the way that we won and uh, just want to continue to grow and get better as the year progresses. I mean, that says a lot to me. So I definitely think it's a good thing the way Gates handled things. Alpha asks us, who's stepping up at safety and is he really going to step it up? I think there's got to be a little concern about the back end of the secondary now that uh, 
Abu Kadus went to IR, so to have Rambo and um, Michael Thomas back there, maybe you see Walt Aikens get a few more snaps beyond special teams. A.J. Hendy got called up from the practice squad. I'm a little more nervous about Bakari Rambo just because he's a little bit greener than Michael Thomas. I think he's a little more of a seasoned veteran and um, maybe not make spectacular plays but keep plays in front of him. Rambo seems a little bit more aggressive, which might be taken advantage of in a playoff scenario. So it's interesting to see how that's going to develop. But, yeah, I think it's a justifiable concern also. All right. Uh, my next question is, again, from Daytona Dolphin. Yes, do you think J.H.I. can get some running room against the Pats' defensive line? Uh, I don't think he's going to have quite the success he had last week against the Bills, which, I mean, that's that's just a rarity. I mean, it doesn't happen very often, so for him to do it three times in one year is insane. But New England uh, third against the run with averaging 89.5 yards to opposing offenses. So, for me, I don't think J.H.I. is going to have quite the same uh, day that he had last week, but – for J.H.I. to be bottled up, that takes a lot. So I do think J.H.I. will get some yards on the ground. I just think it might be more along the lines of like uh, maybe 76 yards and a touchdown or something something like that, nothing like the 200 yards he got last week. Another one of our faithful posters, Agent J78, asked some questions about A.J. Hendy, so some more secondary-related questions. He asks, were you surprised on how excited the players were that Hendy got called up the active roster? Do you recall a player being called up from the practice squad being talked up like that before? Do you see Hendy actually being active on game day? Um, then asked if maybe we should have went a free agent instead of him, a veteran replacement instead of him. But I remember Hendy getting some notoriety in the preseason, made some plays back there. I think it's more of a – uh, in terms of the feedback from the players, I think it's more of boosting up a younger player and getting him ready for this next man up mentality. So trying to boost his confidence a little bit and uh, just make sure that he's ready to get to work. Um, I think the way the game flows is going to dictate what kind of reps uh, in terms of game reps that Hendy will get because if it's a close game and there's a lot on the line and we're still going for it, I don't see him getting any snaps. The game gets out of hand either way. On Sunday, I think you might see Hendy some in the second half, especially if both teams kind of just acquiesce and decide to start playing second-string players. So it would be nice to see what we have in him considering what he did in the preseason, but I wouldn't uh, go to the bank with it. All right, we'll pause there for our questions on the Finsider Radio Live. Thursday. We will jump back to the ones that we didn't get to towards the end of the show, but let's talk now about week 17 and then the playoffs. The Dolphins have a dilemma to, to play here. Uh, do they rest their starters? Do they, do they play all out against the Patriots? Can they get the fifth seed? They can get the fifth seed if they beat the Patriots and the Chiefs later lose to the Chargers, who are playing their last game perhaps in San Diego. It's a division game. I don't think you're going to see the players from the Chargers lie down. I think they're all competitors. They're all professionals. Mike McCoy obviously still fighting for his job. Can use the injury crutch as an excuse. And that beating a division opponent like the Chiefs would be a huge boost for him if he is able to ride that into the offseason and fight for his job that way. When you look at the fifth seed, you may say, okay, the Raiders have a good chance of winning on Sunday against the Broncos. The Broncos are kind of a hot mess right now. Raiders, with their good defense, can stop you know the Broncos from, from scoring. The Broncos really don't have much of an offense because their quarterback is absolutely terrible. But you look at the Raiders, all they need to do is win and the Patriots lose and the Raiders lock up that one seed. So you look at the Dolphins and you think they can get the five seed by beating the Patriots and the Chiefs losing to the Chargers. The Dolphins would then travel to Houston. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Houston, bad offense, great defense. Uh, some people think actually the Dolphins match up with the Steelers a little better than they do with the Texans. But I'm not so sure. I think the Dolphins have a better chance to beat the Texans than they do the Steelers. Uh, but then let's say they beat the Texans. They, they would then travel to Oakland to play Matt McGloin. Uh, I know it's a road game and across the coast, but when you got Matt McGloin in there in a playoff atmosphere, I don't think it's really going to be that scary. And then, of course, if they win that one, probably facing the Patriots, but who knows? Imagine if the Chiefs play the Steelers and the Chiefs beat the Steelers and the Chiefs beat the Patriots, the Dolphins would head home to Miami for the AFC Championship game that, of course, beat the Chiefs then head to Houston for the Super Bowl. So they would play in Houston twice in a span of just a few weeks. 
But all those scenarios are now out of our head and on, on the table here. It's so hard, right? Because we're not coaches. We're not in the NFL. We're not in the locker room. We don't really know what it's like to, to play an NFL game and then recover throughout the week. We don't know what it's like to play or not play and then be able to turn on that switch the next week. So we can speculate here all we want, and it's fun to speculate. But so, and if you are Adam Gase, what is your plan for Sunday's game against the New England Patriots? I think you just made the argument for it. We want the path of least resistance, and the path of least resistance, in my opinion, is trying to go for that scenario where we win and Kansas City loses and we get the five spot. I think that's in our best interest. So I think I think we play this game to win. So I, I don't think that we back down. Now, depending on what happens, and again, we talked about the flow of the game and how it's going, I think it's going to be kind of a fluid approach to this game in terms of who's playing when. But I think initially you, ha- I, I, you go for the win. Outs, what do you do if you're Adam Gates? Yeah, if I'm Adam Gase, I think I'm I'm probably doing what Sutton said. I mean, I'm going to try for the win, but for me, I think I might limit some of them starters. I mean, you got Jay Ajay. I mean, you saw him laying on the ground in pain towards the end of that Bills game, so yeah, I don't know how healthy he is. Tough. I mean, I know they say they say he's good, but, I mean, he's pretty much that offense. So, I mean, I, I think maybe you do maybe 10, 15 snaps with uh, or carries you give Ajay, but, I mean, you rely more on Damian Williams and Kenyon Drake, I think, throughout the game, and, I think the same can be said with like a guy like Cameron Wake or uh, Ndamukong Sue. Cameron Wake, I mean, compared to the workload we thought he was going to get heading into the year, I mean, he's he's just been a monster. So for him to continue to get these reps and start each game, I think he's another guy you might want to shut down a little bit early against the, the Pats, given the circumstances of the game. And, I mean, you could say the same with Kiko or Sue or any of these players, really. I mean, if, if a guy has a little bit of an injury or any, any sign of showing signs of an injury, I would definitely sit him out for this game. Yeah, for me, I think it's kind of like you said, Howitz. you got to find that right balance of playing the guys and resting the guys up. You know, if I'm Adam Gase, I play the guys' limited snaps, and I really try to get my core players who play a demanding position uh, a little rest. I don't think I play Ajayi much, if at all. I don't think I play Tunsil much, if at all. I don't think I play Albert much, if at all. I think the offensive line is very important. Guys like Juwan James, I know it's important to continue the consistency there in the communication, but they've played enough this season. You look at Juwan James and you say, well, he got, he's pretty healthy. But even him, and I know you still need to protect your guys behind the line, um, but you really want your full offensive line being healthy and ready to go. And I'm not just saying go out here and tank, because you also don't want to lose confidence going into the playoffs either. But I think you do need to balance it out. You need to figure out you know, who has played a lot this season, who needs some rest, trying to find that right mixture. And I think Adam Gates does understand what his players need and I think these players are mature enough to tell Adam Gase what they need as well. I think he may be looking at Cameron Wake having limited snaps. He's just played a ton over the past few weeks. And then, you know, really getting guys ready to go for that wild card game, whether it's against the Steelers or the Texans. How you mentioned Cameron Wake as a guy who is really turning it on the season. And in talking about, you know, the comeback player of the year, he was last year in week seven, he tore his Achilles. 34 years old. Uh, now he was 33 last year. People didn't think he was going to be the same that he was. People were talking about trading him, releasing him, letting him go to a team that was able to make the playoffs. And now you look at it, it's kind of laughable. 2016, Wake is tied for second in the AFC and tied for fourth in the NFL with 11 and a half sacks. Since he became a starter in week six, he leads the NFL with 10 and a half sacks, and it's helps Miami win, of course, nine of 10 games. Tied for first in the AFC and tied for second in the NFL with five forced fumbles this season. Nine forced fumbles since 2015, the most in the NFL during that span, despite playing just seven games last season. When you talk about the comeback player of the year, who else is out there, House? Uh, You can look at Jordy Nelson, a guy who's really come back strong. You can look at a guy like Eric Berry, you know, came back from fighting cancer and is having a huge impact for the Chiefs this season. You could talk a guy like Le'Veon Bell, who has was an injury uh, shortened season last year for him. But I think in terms of the position, again, this may be us just being biased again, or me being biased. In terms of the position of defensive end, in terms of how old Cameron Wake is, in terms of the kind of team that he was on, 
And I'm saying that as the Dolphins were not a winning team, and he's helped them become a winning team in terms of, you know, trying to consistently get to the quarterback in terms of not being a starter for the first five weeks of the season and still putting up the numbers that he has this season. I think Cameron Wake, like Adam Gase, should be at the top of the list for comeback player of the year, House. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you keep telling me not to agree with you, but you're making it pretty hard. I mean, you named Jordy Nelson, which I would also consider up there, and uh, maybe Le'Veon Bell, but that depends on, you know, the severity of how you feel the comeback player of the year is. So, I mean, for me, Cameron Wake is everything that you could ask for right now. He's 34 years old, like you said, coming off that torn Achilles, and he put up 11 and a half sacks this year. He's a huge part of why the Miami Dolphins are – doing as well as they have this season. So for me, and again, maybe it's just us being biased, but for me, Cameron Wake is the epitome of the comeback player of the year this season. So, and if you feel like picking a candidate of the uh, – why am I saying candidate? If you're picking comeback player of the year, Sutton, is Cameron Wake at the top of your list or are you picking somebody else? I actually think Wake has a better case for comeback player of the year than I do Gase for coach of the year. So I think Wake is a very, very strong candidate for comeback of the year. And last week we had broached the subject just a little bit. I erroneously suggested Eric Berry, who he he did win it last year. So to my knowledge, you can't win it two years in a row for the same thing, despite how great of a story that is. I think he's had his moment in the sun for that. So you're looking at Wake as the best case for this for this award, in my opinion, for the exact reasons you mentioned. Thirty four years old, Achilles injury, that was that's potentially career threatening for most people. So for him to fight through that with the explosion needed for the defensive end position. And we've had a, a guy call in here, his name's Carter Melrose and he brought up this stat the other day, and I had noticed how it applies this year. It's very weird. Cameron Wake in every game that we've won this year has had at least half a sack. In every game we've lost, he's had zero sacks. Wow. And it's that black and white. He gets a sack, we win. He doesn't get a sack, we lose. That's how that's played out this year. So just kind of one of those ironic stats that you can put in the back of your mind if you're ever playing football jeopardy with your buddies um i play football jeopardy every other day i mean it's a lot of fun would you not agree i'm I sure you're you're agree. probably the alex trebek for you and your friends <laughs> listen we play at panera bread all the time oh god yeah let's go ahead and change topics immediately. we can't even get into that can i just tell you i had a clam chowder bread bowl in quincy market last night I can't Boston. believe you're saying this live over the air right now. <laughs> that is so foul. Oh, my God. You guys need to get your heads out of the gutter. I didn't say anything. I'm just laughing. You guys sound like you're alpha or something. You know, always, always thinking the wrong way here. You, can, you can't help but have a little bit of alpha just influence you in some way. So. Alpha, always, li- Alpha always lives on within all of us. You know, guys, it's already 1021. We've been on the air for 50 minutes. That's 5-0. And time just flies by. And we could sit here and talk for uh, probably another hour and a half. We're obviously not going to do that because if you're listening to us and, and you're wondering when this podcast is going to end and because you have to get to your next meeting or you need to eat lunch or, you know, if you're listening to this on a delay or you need to get to bed or you need to put the kids to bed because you're neglecting them until I just told them one more minute an hour ago. Or you got to read your book to your kids or, you know, you just got to go do your thing that you do in the shower. Um, <laughs> we're just going to wrap up here. We're going to jump back to our live thread, Sutton and Houts. Do we miss any questions? Do we have any more? Yeah, we got we got one, another one from Alpha. He asks, what is the significance of signing Sam Young already? I haven't seen the specs of the contract or anything. I would imagine it's moderate pay for a backup offensive lineman. He kind of strikes me as the new Nate Garner. I don't know if you guys remember him from um, a few years ago, just being kind of that Swiss Army knife offensive lineman. You can just plug him in for a few plays, and he can last for you. So it seems like Sam Young's kind of developing into that type of offensive lineman for us. Yeah, and it's really not locking up a guy for a futures contract in terms of making sure no one else takes him away uh, in the offseason or steals him from the team. So really just getting their depth set up and really moving into the offseason with that. 
any other questions we may have missed? Uh, we got one from Daytona Dolphin. He asked, are we in a parallel universe? The Dolphins are in the playoffs. Uh, yes, yes, we are in an alternate universe. Anytime the Dolphins make the playoffs, we're in an alternate universe. Any Anything else, Sutton? That was a fantastic that question. That was a, that was a fantastic question and answer, by the way, how it's I mean, you are just on fire. You are on fire tonight with your responses. <laughs> I nailed it. <laughs> oh man, what are you guys gonna do? You know. By the way, thank you for joining us on Wednesday night. We know we had to switch it out. Um, why did we switch it out? House had some family commitment to do, and I was coming back from Boston after enjoying my bread bowl in Quincy Market, the clam chowder variety. Um, Jeez. You know, there it was just. Again. It was it was going to be a tough time to get it going on the air on Tuesday night. So congratulations to the Miami Hurricanes, by the way, winning their Russell Athletic Bowl game today over the West Virginia Mountaineers. Awful first quarter. Comes back strong as the half winds down and really puts on a nice performance. Miami winning 31-14, to finally getting back into the bowl game standings in terms of wins. Brad Kaya with four touchdown passes, and we're not going to talk about Brad Kaya because we don't even know if he's coming back to Miami or if he's going to go into the NFL, but really nice to see Miami uh, football turning it around both in the NFL and college, and I think Mark Rick is going to continue to do great things with the Hurricanes. So that is that. Guys, like I said, we could talk here for hours, and when the Dolphins win the Super Bowl, we will talk for hours. We just come the entire to each other. Um, tonight we're ending the game on, on Sunday against the Patriots. For me, I'm I'm up in the air just like you guys are. You know, whatever Adam Gates decides to do, I'm going to stick behind and trust that he and the other coaches are making the right decisions. Remember that he's been in this situation plenty of times before with the Denver Broncos, and I'm sure he has learned a lot from John Fox and those guys over there behind the scenes. Uh, win or lose, the real test comes in about two weeks when the Dolphins head into the playoffs for the first time since 2008. And that is going to be an absolutely great time. And we'll see who they play, whether it's the Texans or the Steelers. Any last-minute thoughts going into Week 17 from you, Sutton, or Houts? I know for the past eight years it's always been, well, let's look to the offseason. And mostly it's been, do they fire Joe Philbin? Are they looking for a new head coach? Are they looking for a new general manager? It was a different kind of excitement then. It's a way better kind of excitement now with the Dolphins headed to the playoffs. Any last-minute thoughts? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see Ajayi go against New England. He got five rushing attempts in week two. So the tape on him is pretty insubstantial against the Patriots. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with a determined Patriots defense. I also did something crazy since I talked to you guys last. What did you do? I bought a minivan. Oh, my God. Mystery machine. Oh, my God. Got it. It is the bomb, dude. So you, Many so you make fun of have me. Come you a make, long way. You make fun of me for eating bread bowls, but now you're gonna tell us that you have a minivan. Ah, uh, dude, I'm just gonna cruise around town in that thing. Can oh we see my some God. pictures? Can we <laughs> yeah, pictures? Send, us, <laughs> send us some pictures on the Finsider.com in the comments section. We uh, want to see I'm the candy deck man. That thing out. I'm gonna deck it out in dolphins flags and. Um, As you should. Bumper stickers and Finsider radio stickers. and Yeah, we should get, like, Finsider radio stickers made. We should. We really Just should. For who, us, would yeah. buy, who would buy them? If you would buy them, comment in our comment section or post this little thing on Twitter using the hashtag Finsider radio. Because if we can make profit off this, guys, you know, don't, let's not even tell Kevin or James that we're doing this. Let's just do it on our own. Hopefully nobody will ever find out from the Finsider.com. And let's make some money. You know, I don't do know it. how they'd ever find out about this. Super I, I don't, it's not, it's not like it's not like either of them listen to the show at all, right? Um, they're not listening yeah. right now. They're not going to listen tomorrow. No. They're never going to find out. <laughs> how? Any last minute thoughts from you? Yeah, I just hope we get through a Sunday's game healthy with everyone uh, ready to go for the playoffs. And for me, I'm just anxious to see what Jay Ajayi can do against the Steelers. I think that was his. Uh, First 200-yard game of the season, if I'm not mistaken. So to see to see that matchup again is going to be great uh, if that's the way it plays out. But like we said earlier, I mean, Houston and then maybe Oakland, that would be the way to go. But I'd like to see a jai against that defense again. 
Yep, and we are headed into week 17, as I mentioned. Dolphins versus Patriots, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, up down in Miami. Miami has beaten the Patriots the last three times down in Florida. Let's see if they make it four in a row. For Sutton, the soccer dad, Houts, the fantasy football expert, <laughs> I am Matt Canada. Thank you for joining Finsider Radio, and we'll talk to you next week. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out.